Hi, you're listening to Becoming Whole podcast with Claire Bradshaw, where I explore with my guests what it means to lean into living a life of wholeness and connectedness, a life where all parts of ourselves, our body, mind and spirit come into alignment, where we're truly living into our own personal values. So if you're a seeker, a feeler or someone wanting more from your precious life, then tune in every fortnight and let's get inspired together. Hello and welcome to another episode of Becoming Whole podcast. I'm here today with Manaj Diaz, who is an animated speaker, a humble teacher, and as it says on his website, always a friend. I love that. He's learnt from many of the great spiritual teachers of our time, including Chana Desanayaka, Sharon Salzberg, and Jack Cornfield. Once tethered to a life of self-management rather than self-awareness, Manaj has been transformed by every breath of his practice knowing that awareness leads to healing from the inside out. And then through his mindfulness and meditation work, he's helped hundreds of people trade mania for pause to live fearlessly in honour of a happier and more meaningful life. He's also the co-founder of A-Space, Australia's first multidisciplinary meditation studio. Manaj, it's so nice to meet you finally. I've been following you on um, Instagram and um, online for a number of like months to a year. And I'd love to see the progression of your journey and um, really what you're creating. Um, so I would love you to start and tell the audience sort of your journey, because I know that we've had um, I suppose a similar background, having worked in um, corporate space and, um, you know, a number of realizations that we've had along the road mm. to kind of take us off that path. So can you tell everyone sort of mm, where you were working, how long ago it was and sort of what happened in that journey? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, people, when they see me for the first time, they kind of assume that I look like a monk, like, you know, a next monk that's just come out of the jungle and I've been a spiritual person my whole life and... Yeah, to an, to an extent I have been. I've had a level of spirituality that wasn't really formed until, um, you know, probably about 10 years ago. Um, I grew up in a Sri Lankan household where Buddhism was um, was practiced, but I didn't really understand it. And like most most young kids, I kind of went to the temples and the monasteries and just felt like it was so boring. I'd rather be home watching the footy or the cricket and, and just playing with my mates. Um, my journey really started, my spiritual journey really started um, as I was working in corporate, as you said, probably about 10 years ago for um, one of Australia's largest um, banks. And I had an anxiety attack one day at work, a panic attack or anxiety attack, whatever you want to call it. And at the time that it happened, it was probably the scariest thing I'd ever experienced in my life because I hadn't experienced anxiety formally before. I'd, like, you know, back then, no one really spoke about mental health and illness. Um, I'd never known anyone that had a panic attack. So whatever was happening, it felt like I was slowly losing my mind. And um, that's, that's the, um, the narrative that was going on in my mind. My hands started to tremble. My heart started to beat quickly. Um, I wasn't able to construct thoughts. And this all happened in front of my staff. You know, I was managing uh, a bunch of staff then as well. So um, my life back then consisted of 60, 70 hour weeks, three or four coffees a day, going to the gym three or four times a week, and you know, partying with my mates on the weekend. And this just happened to be the norm for, for me and my friends. So I didn't actually know any different. Um, when I did have this anxiety attack, I call it one of the biggest blessings that I've, I've ever had. Um, it kind of allowed me to, to stop. Um, for about a year and a half, I was traveling around, um, seeing various doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, trying to understand what had happened. Because, you know, in my mind, I felt like I was slowly losing, losing my shit, <laughs> so to speak. 
And um, all the different doctors and all the different uh, psychologists and psychiatrists were recommending different things for me. And a lot of them recommended medication and things like that. Uh, for me personally, I felt intuitively like that wasn't the, the path that I was going to take. Um, it didn't feel right. And I was, to be honest, really scared about you know, taking medication. So, you know, I remember trying, you know, Reiki, you know, going to shamanic healers and all this sort of woo-woo stuff. And uh, none of it seemed to, to work for me. And then um, one day a friend of mine kind of came over to my house. He's like, hey, you should come and come and try yoga. Come and try yoga. It's really good for you. And I'm like, man, I can't even touch my knees and I haven't slept for, for months and there's no way I'm going to do it. He's like, no, 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 come. There's lots of girls that you'll like it. <laughs> I'm like, great. All right. Lots of girls. Are good. It's a good incentive to come. Um, and I remember going to this um, studio, which was filled with maybe eight people. It was small. It was in um, the front of a, a little shop front house. And the teacher was a Buddhist meditation teacher that, saw, that taught a very gentle um, form of yoga. And that teacher, his name is Shana Desanayaka, really, really changed my life. And he's my teacher to this day. Um, he taught me in that very first class about observing my mind, uh, about the ability to notice my thoughts without having to believe those thoughts, about mindfulness, you know, being aware of what was happening inside and outside. And this ability to, to find healing through the practice of stillness and you know, that day I'll never forget for the rest of my life because from that day I practiced with him for five years every single day without missing a day. And um, that eventually led to me traveling around the world and went to Sri Lanka, almost became a monk, um, traveled to America, practiced with and studied under Sharon Salzberg and Jack Hornfield um, and really immersed myself in, in mental health and in mindfulness and meditation. And specifically my tradition, my lineage is, is the Theravada Buddhist tradition. Um, and I did all of this without the intention of, of ever teaching, but just because it felt like I, it was what I had to do to understand myself. Um, in the process, I did a yoga teacher training and kind of met a girl that was doing yoga teacher training and we kind of got together and um, you know, fell into teaching yoga. Um, you know, I taught yoga for over eight, nine years and um, started to slowly feel that it wasn't aligned to to my highest calling, if you could call it that. Um, and I still love teaching yoga, but I kind of felt that it was going more down a fitness path. And um, I was getting caught up in that and I felt very misaligned to that. And, you know, by another strange twist of fate, I had a hip injury, a pretty serious hip injury that meant for 18 months I couldn't practice yoga. So um, I really had to immerse myself back into the meditation practice. And, um, you know, for the last eight, nine years, I've been, I've been teaching meditation. Um, and it's been, um, it's been really fulfilling for me on a personal level, but it's also felt like it's part of my dharma to, to share this with a lot of my friends who are experiencing things that I experienced, but don't know that there is a, a way out of it. I see a lot of people suffering um, from just not being able to hold conversations without looking at their phone, to genuine depression and anxiety and um, you know, feeling suicidal at times as well. So um that's kind of my journey up until um, up until your open day space. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And um, I'd love to kind of go back in time a little bit. Um, so when you know when you decided that you know you couldn't be in the corporate space, you know you you were feeling ill. Did you you know did you quit straight away, or did it take some time for you to kind of work out what your next steps were? Mm. Yeah, I took I took probably about twelve months off corporate work. I mean, I resigned from my job, which was at the time the highest paying job I had and the most lucrative. And, you know, on paper, it was 
the dream job. My mum's like, are you sure you want to quit this job? Um, but, you know, I, I couldn't work was, was the reality. Like I was, I was that um, anxious and I wasn't sleeping. I had an eating disorder on top of all of that. So a lot of, a lot of things were going on. And um, I eventually came back, you know, after a year of, of finding healing and finding myself again. I came back and started to work in, in the corporate space. But there was a change in, in my heart and my mindset and the things that I really valued, like, you know, the status, the money, the clothes, the, the appreciation from my peers didn't actually matter to me as much anymore. And there was this feeling I was getting when I was teaching meditation or yoga that was just so nourishing to me and, and to the point that I couldn't really concentrate while I was at work because all I could think about was, you know, which teacher I could study with and which retreat I could go to and, and how I could share something that really transformed my life. And, um, you know, I started to teach part-time for about six, seven months. And um, then there was a bit of a, a leap of faith that I took where I was like, look, I'm, I'm kind of just dipping my toe in this. And, and I feel like if I'm ever going to to help people, I've just got to trust that this is the path that I'm on. And um, it was a really, really big leap of faith because um, in my first year of teaching, um, meditation and yoga, I earned probably $40,000, if that. Um, so I was giving up a $175,000 job, my, my, my last one. And everyone thought I was crazy. You know, everyone. I had a daughter to look after. I had um, a really nice car. I had my mom who I was kind of supporting. And everyone was like, oh, you know, you, you're, you're going crazy. Um, but I had this, this belief that um, what I was doing was the right thing to do. And I never doubted it. And I, and I never regretted it. And even though the money wasn't there, like it just felt like I was rich in, in so many ways. Yeah. And so the, the benefits and the, the feeling within far out, outweighed what other people were saying and kind of, you know, the financial and material side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and it's, you know, like I have a lot of teachers asking me similar questions. Like, yeah. you know, I really want to do this, especially after a teacher training. Um, but for me, the advice is when it feels right, then it's the time to do it. Yeah. And there's always a little fear right before you do it. There's always like, what, what are you giving up? But for me, um, nothing felt as obvious as when I was in front of people teaching. I felt calm and I felt at ease. And in the Buddhist tradition, that's when you know that something is right. Like mm -hmm. not when you're giddy and your blood is, you know, kind of rushing to your head. It's when there is this serene sense of calm and effortlessness. And, um, and I felt that from my very first class. So I, I felt like I was in the right path. Yeah. Yeah. You felt really grounded. And, mm. and so you, would you say then you're, you're following your life is now following a place of mm, your intuition and being guided by feeling rather than you know, yeah. anything external? Absolutely. I think, you know, like there are still pressures externally, mm. you know, having Australia's first multidisciplinary meditation studio, there, there's the pressure to, you know, open so many studios around Australia and do all these events and, and kind of capitalize on, on the, and the movement of mindfulness. Um, but intuitively, like my business partner and I, we, we have this feeling that what we're doing is far greater than, than a financial um, sort of benefit to us. And um, that's nothing, you know, based on woo-woo or, or the fact that we're naive to, to the trends that, that are happening in the world. But I think intuitively we feel that um, what we want to create is a conscious community. Um, it's a community that's going to be sustainable and, and long-lasting, not something that's going to come and go so everything that we do is, is guided by our hearts now mm. as, as challenging as that is running a, a business um, we come back to that 
same intention as to where we started from. Because mm, mm. I'm definitely seeing as well, like, you know, arriving, I've been traveling for a number of years and coming back to Australia and kind of being within this industry, you know, it does seem this fine line between, you know, it's, it is a business and, you know, mm. we do need to pay, um, you know, salaries and things like that but then at the same time it is this spiritual beautiful space and it's trying to find that happy medium between the two yeah and it's really really interesting one because um you know the other the other really interesting psychological point is that people don't value things unless they feel like they're actually paying for things Mm. um so for us that's been a really really interesting experience like we were doing free events in our first year and People would buy the tickets, which were for free, mm. but then just not show up. And then yeah. we'd, you know, charge $10 or $15 and it'd be full. So for us, mm. it's a really interesting, um, really interesting experiment and, and something that we're still grappling with because, you know, in Australia, there aren't many studios like us. So we don't even know at the start, yeah. how much do we charge for classes? Mm. You know, how much do we pay for teachers? So it was um, everything so far in the last 18, 19 months has mm. been a learning experience. Mm. But I think there is, as individuals and as people that are on this path, that balance that we shouldn't shy away from because mm. our services are valued. Um, our services are just as important as a dentist or um, you know, someone fixing a car or someone fixing your lights. And I think we should value ourselves at that. For sure, for sure. Thanks for that. Um, and now I want to go back to the um, the type of uh, meditation that you learnt. Um, can you say what it was called again? Yeah, so it's um, I come from the Buddhist tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Buddhist traditions, um, the oldest tradition um, within that, um, within Buddhism is known as Theravada Buddhism, which is the Buddhism for the elders. Um, it's the most, not, I wouldn't say conservative, the, the, but the most tr- traditional. It's mm-hmm. where a lot of other forms like Shambhala and Tibetan and Vajrayana kind of came from. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been what I kind of fell into again. Mm. It wasn't something that I necessarily sought out. Um, my teacher was from that tradition. My parents, um, studied under that tradition. Um, and you know, in the times that I was really suffering, it was the, that tradition that really pulled me out of a lot of my pain and a lot of, um, the experiences that I went to. Mm. So for me, it feels like it's a natural, um, a natural path for me. Um, but it might not be for everyone. Mm, mm. And is it is the meditation style similar to like a vipassana or? Yeah. So um, within you know within the context of Buddhist meditation, there are many different forms and lineages and traditions. Um, in Theravada Buddhism, vipassana is a, is one form of the meditation practice. Oh. Um, shamatha is another one, which is mindfulness of breath. Um, but there's also you know metta meditation, loving kindness, and and all these different, you know, heaps of different um, variations, concentration-based practices, compassion practices, mm-hmm. um, that all fall under Buddhist meditation. Um, so, yeah, lots of different styles. Yeah. Okay, great. Cool. And um, I wanted to find out from you, so this podcast is called Becoming Whole. Mm-hmm. And what does... <laughs> thank you. What does becoming whole mean to you? Or what does living into a whole life mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I've really been exploring this question a lot personally mm. um, lately in my life, and what I've kind of come to is that we are the happiest I've been, and this mm. is my reference point. The happiest I've been is when I'm living a life of authenticity, mm-hmm. um, when I'm not trying to be anyone that I'm not, um, when I'm trying to be you know just who I am, and and mm. not even trying to be the best version of who I am. But just being who I am at that moment. And at mm. that moment, it could be someone that's anxious or someone mm. that's sad. It could be someone that's courageous or fearless. But just accepting um, 
yourself completely, accepting all your imperfections and mm. um, accepting that life is a journey. It's not something that's stagnant. Um, because I feel like a lot of people think that at this moment their life is bad, that therefore life is bad. Mm. But um, you know, Buddhist meditation practice teaches us that everything is transient, everything changes. So mm. what's happening right now might change in two days. Yeah. Um, you know, the person that I am yesterday is very different to the person I am today, and with all of us as well. Totally, totally. And those points when um, life becomes really heavy, mm. knowing that in the back of your mind that yeah I may be feeling like this but tomorrow's a new day and yeah. next week you know this isn't forever because it can be like that can't it yeah. when you it becomes so overwhelming it feels like it's never going to end yeah absolutely and I think yeah. that's what um that's what causes a lot of our suffering is that we take things that are always changing to be permanent mm. you know we take our bodies to be this thing that's always going to support us we take our relationships to be this thing that's always going to be there. We take our financial mm. um, our financial security to be something that's always going to be there for us. Mm. But all of these things have, in nature change. So, um, you know, what I've learned is that becoming friends with this and accepting that allows us to suffer less and actually enjoy mm. those things a lot more. Yeah, totally. And it then helps you to be in the moment and enjoy those because you know that when it's when you're having a good time or when you're having a not-so-good time, tomorrow is going to be different. Yeah. So it yeah. means that you're going to be enjoying those good times even more. Because, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. It's not a morbid sort of concept. It's actually mm. a very liberating concept. Yeah. If you knew you only had a week to spend with your partner, like would you really fight with them over the toilet yeah. seat being up? You know, would you care if they bought the milk home or not? Or yeah. would you actually take the time to, to feel their heart and really embrace who they are and, and yeah. not really care about all the other little things? So, that's for me is what I'm interested in, mm. the deepening of, of my connection to yep. life and, and the people in my life. Mm, beautiful. Thank you for that. And what I'm finding so interesting, you know, in running this podcast is that wholeness means different things to different people, mm. you know, and I think that that's, you know, it's so fascinating um, in itself because it is a concept or it is, is an idea that, yeah, has different ways of looking at it. Mm. So I want to also talk to you about sort of what were some of the biggest challenges that you've faced um, so as you were changing your life, so, mm. you know, you were changing internally, but you're also changing externally as well in terms of the way that your life looked, what you did for a living, mm. etc. What were the biggest challenges you faced? I think change in general mm. is really scary. Mm. You know, we can all, we all accept that it's part of our life. But when we yeah. go through it, it can be really, really confronting and scary, mm. you know. Not having a foundation can really throw you around. Mm. Um, for me, it was, um, you know, when I was suffering through a lot of mental illnesses, um, it was not knowing what was going to happen. Mm. It was not knowing, you know, if I was going to work again. It was not knowing what I was going to do with my life. It was not knowing how I was going to support my family. Um, it was not knowing if I would ever get better. Um, so this place of not knowing is what we want to actually become friends with mm. because it's a really big transformational point in our life. Now, if we look back, and for all of us, the most trying of times in retrospect have been the most transformative of times. But when we're in it, it can feel scary because there's nothing to, to hold us. You know, There's nothing to feel secure with. Mm. Um, so for me, I think looking back, that the most challenging times were the periods where I just couldn't accept change. Mm. Um, yeah. Instead of learning to, to go with the flow and trust that we're on the right path, um, I would look to ways of kind of numbing that feeling. Yes. Yeah, which I think is so common. Like I think everyone can um, relate to that. Mm -hmm. um, 
how have you built up your trust muscle? Because mm. <laughs> it's such a big thing when you're making huge changes in your life. You really have to lean into this place of trust. Yeah. And it can be so hard to do. Absolutely, yeah. And I think a lot of it is is persistence. You know, mm. like um, even, you know, after 10 years of meditation practice and almost becoming a monk, there are still moments that I don't trust. You know, there are still moments that mm. I go into to fear and into doubt. Mm. Um, and those are the moments that I have to go back and fall on, you know, teachings or, or even a sangha or a community, you know, um, and that's part of the reason we created a space was we wanted there to be a conscious community where people can, can talk about these sort of things and, Mm. and feel like they're not alone. Cause Mm. a lot of the, a lot of the challenges are like, you know, we go through hard times and, oh my God, I'm the only one that experiences this. And the reality is no, it's a human condition to experience Stress, worry, depression, anxiety, fear, jealousy, all love, happiness. Mm. It's, it's so, so common. So the ability to, to be okay with those things is really powerful. And the ability to have a community that can hold you mm. in those moments is even more powerful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. Thank you. And um, in terms of like the pinnacle moments on that journey where you've had kind of almost like maybe an aha moment or something you felt like a big shift or has it or has it everything kind of happened more mm, you know slowly gradually for you no I think for me I've been very blessed and um everything kind of fell into place for me yeah um but then again I became a meditation yoga teacher before it was really cool in Melbourne you know so there was a lot of opportunities there um, these days it's a lot harder for, for yoga teachers and meditation teachers mm. to, um, to really grow because there's so many of them out there. Um, you know, a, a, probably a pinnacle moment for me was when we were invited to New York to, to deliver a, a workshop, um, on meditation and connection in particular. Mm. Um, you know, especially like somewhere like New York where there are so many teachers and it felt like a real honor to be able to, to, you know, deliver this sold out workshop in, in, in Brooklyn. And for me, it was trust that you know, no matter how many, uh, no matter how many teachers there are in the world mm. that are delivering this, like each of us has this authentic message that people can relate to and connect to, and um, and that's what I think that's what people really fall mm. in love with is mm. is that authentic message, not you know repeating what you heard from another teacher, but being yeah. able to to feel someone's vulnerability and their heart and and be like, okay, that was a really amazing moment of connection mm. and and that then allows them to kind of break down their barriers and, and open up so I think for me it was um yeah the, the invitation to, to go to New York yeah. that was really powerful for us amazing how did that all come about um we had some friends that that worked in the industry over there mm. and um that heard we were coming over and they asked you know if, you, if we wanted to mm. put on something um for their community in in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and um we said yes we had didn't plan anything we're like okay let's just go over there and have a discussion on, on what it means to connect. Mm, yeah. And, um, you know, my co-founder Josh and I went over there and um, we linked up with mm. um, a few people over there and, and, you know, we came to a cafe and we ran this awesome event at, um, at Sweatshop in, in Brooklyn. And um, it was really amazing to see people that we had never connected with mm. that had just heard about us mm. come and, and share their stories of, of what it meant to, to connect and open up. Amazing, amazing. So good. Yeah. And... Um, and then in terms of like the mindfulness, I suppose, movement, mm. I mean, because it is, it is becoming um, 
very popular and almost fashionable, you know, <laughs> which is which is interesting. And obviously, there's pros and cons to all of these things. There's always the dark and light mm. uh, all mixed together. Um, why do you think that mindfulness and meditation are becoming a lot more popular? Yeah, um, yeah I think it's two parts to that question. Like, one is why is it so popular, and the other part is. Um, is it cool that it's so popular? Mm. You know, like, is yeah. it authentic? Is it mm. original? Um, so the first part is, I think the reason it's becoming popular is because it's needed. It's no mm. longer like there's a woo-woo, um, you know, early monks do it and hippies and people that do drugs. It's like, yeah. it's just so part of our culture these days. Mm. You know, like a lot of our clients are AFL teams, um, you know, big businesses. We have yeah. corporate executives, mm. you know, overseas, the Chicago Bulls, the LA Lakers, the US Army do it. Um, the ability to, to really focus our mind is a powerful tool. And, mm. you know, I think in the 90s, there was this big focus on the body, like get the body right, you know, look a certain way and you'll feel good. And now we're starting to see that, like, the, the body looking good and isn't necessarily going to make you feel good overall. And, um, you know, eventually your body's going to break down, but your mind is, is what's going to sustain you. So let's, let's develop that. Mm. Let's, you know, let's train that. And the second part is, you know, um, is, is a good that is becoming popular. And I think, you know, I think in general it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of people that are kind of cashing in on, on meditation and mindfulness. And, um, you know, it, I, don't, I don't know if I have a particular opinion on that, but I have a tendency to believe that people that are really, people that find their journey within meditation and mindfulness yeah. will find their teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it could be they have to go to a bunch of really average teachers or really average sessions for them to be like, and there has to be more mm. of this and, and to yeah. find it. So um, any way they get exposed to it, for me, is a good, it's a mm. good thing. Mm-hmm. But eventually they'll, they'll find someone that they can resonate with and connect to yeah. and, and that'll deepen their experience. Mm. Mm-hmm. Great. And, um, and then in terms of meditation and the practice of meditation, for a lot of people I speak to, um, I say, you know, we speak about meditation and, um, you know, they say, oh, I can't meditate. Mm. This is like a big reason why a lot of people are telling me they can't meditate because they can't still their mind Mm. you must have heard a lot of people say the same thing what do you generally say to people when they say that i think it's you know like i always say meditations are the worst marketing campaign of all time Mm. because there's so many misconceptions about what meditation is um you know meditation isn't about emptying your mind of thoughts Mm. at least it's not in the tradition that i come from Um, meditation is our ability to just be present to the experience that Mm. we're in Mm-hmm. And that experience that we're in is sometimes not calm and peaceful. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's turbulent, it's emotional, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. But what we're trying to do is change our relationship to all of these things, including the thoughts, including the feelings. Mm-hmm. And by changing our relationship to it, all we're doing is observing it compassionately. Mm-hmm. You know, a thought of self-harming comes into our mind. And instead of reacting it or pushing it away, can we just notice how that affects our body, affects our breath? And then hold it like we would a child mm. and then let it go. Um, and this is, for me, a way to affect meaningful change, not mm. just, you know, avoid things in our life. Mm. Um, you know, the, the question that you said, like, you know, I can't empty my mind. And you know, we get people all the time. And, and the first thing we say is that's not what meditation is about. Mm. Yep. If you emptied your mind, you'd probably drop dead and, and you'd <laughs> to perform CPR on you. It, it's not how, you know, meditation goes. Yeah. It's, it's about just noticing that you're having thoughts yeah. which is so normal. I mm. have thoughts. Mm. And then seeing that can we relate to these thoughts in a more compassionate way yeah. that will allow us to find a sense of ease and calm mm. for the rest of our day. For sure, for sure. And bringing that um, 
awareness of the thoughts and creating that space and that stillness to see the thoughts, I've definitely found it's really helped because mm. then the more aware I become my thoughts, the more I can see, oh, okay, well, that's not such a friendly way to speak to yourself, yeah. you know, yeah. and then through that awareness, then I can change that thought and bring kind of a lot more love to self. Yeah. And then that, then I can feel it projecting outwards. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it's, yeah, that awareness. And, and we all know we're around people that are really present or really compassionate. Yeah. Like we can feel that. So yeah. the, the energy transmits and it's yeah. like, I don't know what the research shows around that, but I know when I, you know, sit for 30 minutes and focus on loving kindness, which mm. is a, a heart brace practice. And then yeah. I, I go out into the world, I see people differently yeah. than is, and then if I just got up, you know, tired and slept in for five more minutes and just kind of try to get on with my day. So mm. I think that's that energy, that, that ability to emit a certain frequency of, of kindness and presence is, is tangible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. And um, and then in terms of the difference between mindfulness and meditation, can you explain kind of what the difference is? is? Because yeah. like a lot of people talk about it being the same thing. Other people say it's different and there's kind of a little bit of confusion there. Yeah, yeah, sure. Mm. I mean, so, so mindfulness is our ability to be fully engaged with the present moment with an attitude of kindness, you know. John Kabat-Zinn, who really pioneered um, mindfulness and brought it over from the East to the West, um, coined the term non-judgmental awareness. Mm. So, you know, I tend to agree with that, but my definition of it is is being present with an attitude of kindness. Mm. Um, We can be mindful in many ways. The informal way of being mindful is to pay attention to the conversations we're having and, and not... You know, noticing when your mind wanders away, mm-hmm. when we're eating our food, tasting the food through all of our senses, when we're um, going for a walk, noticing the sights and sounds without really judging mm. it. The formal practice of mindfulness is known as meditation. Mm-hmm. So um, in that regard, there isn't much of a difference with mindfulness and meditation. Mm-hmm. But there are thousands of different styles of meditation. So that could be where the confusion comes mm. from. You know, there's Vedic meditation, sound meditation. Um, heaps of different styles Mm. but at its essence mindfulness has these two components which are essentially the same thing you know when you're fully engaged in a conversation the same regions of your brain are firing as if you were sitting in meditation you know Mm. focusing on your breath Mm. so um, there's not much difference there yeah yeah and would you say um, that on your journey and you know running the studio and working with um, many many students that over time it can become a little easier to sit yeah I think I mean I think it definitely can but I think in order for us to, to find that that sense of ease in a meditation mm. practice we have to let go of our expectations of it mm. you know if we sit every single day and we're like okay I need this so I can kill my meeting or I need this so I can be less stressed then we're putting all this pressure on ourselves and, and we're not really sitting in, in the experience of what is. Um, you know, even to this day, there are still times when I've, I'm overcome with emotion. Mm. And, you know, back then, if I'd done it 10 years ago, I wouldn't be able to sit for a minute or two. Yeah. But now I can sit in it, I can feel it fully and I, like, I can move through that experience. So what it allows us to do is just understand ourselves in a mm. whole new way. And mm. I think for, for me, in order for us to, to really thrive in our life, there has to be a certain understanding of ourselves and the mm. way we respond and the way we react mm. um, to life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Thank you for that. And, um, you know, in my meditation journey, you know, when I first, I was in India and, um, you know, I was sitting there and, uh, you know, they were guiding us through this meditation and, you know, thoughts were popping up and they were good thoughts. They weren't nasty thoughts. Mm. And I was like, oh, 
maybe this is okay. I'm allowed to have this thought because it's mm. a good thought. And then as time kind of, you know, went on, then I understood a lot more in terms of you know, what meditation is, mm. and, you know, observing and, mm. and all of that. And, um, and I think that when I started the journey, I had this thought in my mind that as time went on, I'd be able to go from two minutes to five minutes to 20 minutes to an hour mm. and things would be amazing mm. and I'd be blissful and yeah. calm and all of that. And that was an expectation that I had. Yeah. And, um, and then letting go of those things, letting go of the expectations and then realizing that every day is a little bit different. And some days the mind is still going crazy and it's just sitting there and being with that. Yeah. I mean, I've been mm. meditating for close to 10 years and I have not had thoughtless meditation. Yeah. So it happens and mm. it's just changing our relationship to those thoughts. That's the whole practice of, of what we do. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Um, now, before we um, finish up, I just wanted to talk about your studio. Um, so, I mean, we're sitting here now and it's an absolutely stunning space. It's got an incredible um, feel and energy to it. It's really light and bright. Can you tell everyone a little bit about where sort of the idea came from for the studio and sort of what you offer here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, probably... Close to eight, nine months ago, um, my business partner Josh and I, who were already um, running A-Space pop-ups around Melbourne and, and New York, we were in New York and we went to a few studios over there. And, and the one thing that we noticed with all of the courses and programs ran in Melbourne was that they would be awesome. They'd have like amazing feedback and responses and people would come together and we saw a community growing, but a lot of the feedback was that we have nowhere to go between now and you know, six weeks when your next program is. Like, when can we see you guys more? And, mm-hmm. you know, I had this feeling inside of me that I'd love to have a physical space where people could just come and hang out and have, you know, spiritual conversations and, mm-hmm. and just get to hang out with people that are like-minded. And um, we got back from, from our trip to New York and I said to Josh, let's open a studio. Like, let's, let's do it. And I remember him going, he's, he's very practical. He's like, we have no money. And I'm like, let's just do it anyway. Like, let's just, let's just try, you know. So um, I remember we went and got credit cards and we asked our families and, and we put all our life savings literally into opening this studio. And um, it was a, a big risk at the time, you know. We both weren't flush with money, but we had this belief that there was, uh, Melbourne needed a community um, of meditators a conscious community of people just getting together and talking about things that mattered. And, um, you know, the studio was born. And, um, you know, it's, it's a humble, humble little studio. Like, I think the first few classes, we had, like, one person coming and then two people coming and sometimes no no one coming. And from that, we kind of growed. And mm. we offer various meditation styles here. And we have Buddhist meditation teachers. We have mindfulness facilitators, um, you know, that are trained at, you know, Stanford. We have sound meditation teachers. We have um, yoga nidra meditation teachers, so sleep meditation. And we try to offer like a really safe um, secular practice for all these people that come here. Um, A place where they can first um, learn about meditation, then experience it, but then also come together as a community and and share in that experience. So um, for us, it's it's been really humbling to see this little idea start to grow and grow and grow to the point where now we're looking at, you know, where our second studio is and, and do we open something overseas? And um, it's been amazing. Yeah, it's been mm. really, really humbling. 
Amazing journey. So great. And I think, you know, the space that you've created and, you know, the community that you're building and providing, as you said, like that support and a place for people to meet other like-minded and mm. um, people is so important yeah. so thank you so much you. for everything that you're doing and you. um, and every, everything that you are <laughs> and um yeah is there anything else that you'd like to share or where can people find you uh well, you can find me um my personal website is menage m-a-n-o-j d-i-a-s dot com i think that's the one <laughs> um and the a space website is a um, hyphen space dot com and you know social media if you want to get at me it's naji n-a-j-i gram underscore um and you know a space is underscore a space and on those on those channels you know we share a lot about what we do and, and what's important to us and we try to keep it as real as possible so you won't see many pictures of coffee and food and things like that <laughs> um but just our musings on life and again another channel for us to to be able to share um this ability to be conscious in in a modern age Perfect. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've loved these conversations. I'm sure everyone else is going to love this conversation too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Leah. (laughs) And that's the end of another episode. I do hope you enjoyed it and gained some new insights. You can find more info about the show and my guests by visiting my website, claire-bradshaw.com or subscribe to iTunes to ensure you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show, please give it a rating on iTunes, as this makes a huge difference in sharing the podcast and its content with more people. My dream is to create a happier, healthier, more wholesome world. And I truly believe that it starts with ourselves. So thank you for listening and have a beautiful day.